people, right? Uh, even the most independent-minded among us, and you know, I know some of you are, are very real sanguine people, right? You just, just love being around people. Some of you are a little bit more independent-minded, right? Um, you're not raising your hand right now because you're independent-minded, right? Uh, that's, and that's okay, but even the most independent-minded among us uh, need other people. God intended for us to walk out our faith in the context of a community of people with like precious faith. So we'll be talking about that a little bit more next week, but uh, this week, you know, a small group, you mentioned life groups, a small group is a great place to make friends, to grow in your faith at the same time. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later in this message as well as next week as well. So this is the third in a six-part series entitled Love, Grow, Serve. Now, we've already talked about loving God and loving people, right? You all remember that? Oh, good. Awesome. Uh, and we're, you know, we've talked about uh, uh, loving God and people, and the next two messages are going to be on growing, and then after that, on serving God and serving the community. And, uh, and there's a, you all remember, there's a, a kind of a dual uh, aspect of both of those, a dual emphasis in that. So there's a vertical connection, and there's a horizontal connection, right? So we love God and we love people, right? We, we grow in relationship with God, and we grow in relationship with others. And we serve God, and we serve the community, right? And, uh, and so there's a dual aspect, and, uh, uh, you know, life can be complicated, right? I don't know if you've noticed. It can be complicated. So here at First Assembly, we want to keep it simple. We just ask you to do three simple things. Love God by getting one of our services regularly, and then grow in relationship with God and people by getting in a small group, and then uh, serve God in the community by getting in the ministry, right? That's simple, right? Love, grow, and serve. This is who we are. This is what we do. And I hope that by now, this is really beginning to grab you, right? Because uh, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for all of us. I've been praying for you older saints. I've been praying for the middle-aged saints. I've been praying for the young adults like me. <laughs> now, what is so funny about that? I have to tell you, in my mind, I'm a young adult, all right? Yeah, I've been praying for the youth as well, uh, uh, that uh, will catch a vision both of what the body of Christ can be and also the amazing part that you can play in it. Because if it doesn't really become who we are, then all it becomes is a slogan that's on the wall, right? But if it really captures who we are and as a body, we say, yes, God, I will be that. I will be everything that you want us to be and, I, and I'll make this body move forward. Then that's when we impact our community. That's when we become change agents and uh, um, that, that's when, uh, when instead of life defining who we are, we define life should be according to the word of God. Now, how many of you remember that the script, there's a scriptural basis for all of this, right? Right? Okay. It's not just something I got because, you know, I ate too many jalapeno poppers before going to bed. All right. There's a scriptural basis for it. Uh, and you all remember what it is? Yes, right behind me, Ephesians 4.16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, read this next part with me, all right? It says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I hope that by the end of this, you've got this memorized, right? Uh, so there it is. The body of Christ grows, builds itself up in love, and each part does its work. Love, grow, serve. This is God's plan and vision for the body of Christ, and this is what should be motivating us. So, 
The last couple of weeks, we talked about loving God and loving people. This morning, we're beginning our grow emphasis. The message is entitled, Growing in Relationship with God. Growing in Relationship with God. And you know what? The fact that, think about this, the fact that we can even speak of having a relationship with God is amazing, isn't it? I mean, think for a minute. How many of you think in terms of having a relationship with the President of the United States? Or maybe your senator. How many of you have a relationship with your senator? How about state senators? Or maybe even your state representative? Maybe a few people have a relationship with your state representative, right? Uh, but not many. And how, well, think in these terms. If you could develop a relationship with anyone on the planet, who would it be? I mean, maybe someone who's at the top of the field that you're in. Maybe someone who can inspire you to be the best version of yourself. Uh, uh, who would that be? I asked Emily, my daughter, that, and, and she said, uh, well, John Williams, you know, the famous composer. Because, you know, she thinking about getting a master's degree in, in composing for orchestra. She says, John Williams, there's a slim to nothing chance that she's going to develop a relationship with John Williams, right? And so, but God, the God of the universe, the one who created all there is, the stars, the heavens, the earth, and everything in it, the one who speaks and things come into existence from nothing, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who breathes life into every living thing, the one who sits enthroned in the heavens and with earth as his footstool, the one whom mighty angels bow down to, this God says he wants and desires a relationship with you, with me, with us. The most important being there is, and if there lurks somewhere within our minds this idea that, you know, this is for other people, but, you know, God really doesn't want a relationship with me, we need to look no further than the first two words of the Lord's Prayer to drive that idea far from our hearts and minds. Because the disciples asked Jesus, you know, teach us how to pray. And Jesus responded by saying this. He said, when you pray, say, our Father, our Father. That's amazing. You know, and sometimes we take that a little bit for granted because we, we've heard it so much. But that was and is a radical thought, that when you address God to say, Our Father. You may not know this, but in the Old Testament, there are only just a handful of times where God is described as Father. And most of those times, if you look at it, um, God is not saying he's Father to everybody, but it's referring to a specific person who's called for a specific reason, like a king or someone else that God has set aside to do a specific task, and God says, I will be their father. And then even in the intertestamental period uh, between the Old and New Testament, the writings of that time, the idea of God as father is, is almost nowhere to be found. And then, uh, and then even in other religions, the idea of God as father is very rare. Like even in Islam, for example, they have what they call the 99 beautiful names for God. Do you know that not one of them is father? And really, if you go through them, um, there's not really much there about relationship at all. This idea of God as your father is radical and really kind of incredible that God would want us to address him as father. The idea that this completely transcendent God who transcends time and transcends space and the universe, who's completely other, beyond and above, uh, would want this relationship with us is amazing and awe-inspiring. It would be kind of like us wanting to have a relationship with the ant colony in the backyard. But Jesus says when we pray to start by saying, our Father. Can you think 
of a more personal way to address God? And I think right at the start, we should say that a relationship with God begins with a salvation experience. It begins at the cross. It begins with repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, you must come to him on his terms. You can't really come to God on your own terms. You know, some people, they want to come to God on their own terms, right? I mean, the problem with this is that you end up with a God of your own making. You end up with a God that is in your own image. And the problem with that kind of God is that he's not real. He only lives in your imagination. I mean, that kind of God can really do nothing for you that you can't do for yourself. And so if we're going to deal with the real God, we must come to him on his terms. And these are his terms. Express repentance towards sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why Jesus died on the cross. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. The cross is the entryway. Jesus is the doorway into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And if you've never done that, can I encourage you today, don't leave this place without making Jesus your Savior, without calling out to him and saying, Jesus, I can't save myself. I, I confess there's no way I can save myself, but I believe that you died on the cross for me. Would you be my Savior and my Lord? You can do that in your pew right where you are. If you need help, find me. Find one of the other pastors. would love to lead you now because, you know, I've served God for 30 years now or more, and, you know, I've never had a day of regret, you know, saying I wish I hadn't served Jesus. You know, I, I don't, I've never heard anybody in 30 years, you know what, I regret serving Jesus. You know, people don't talk like that to me. And then, uh, I've, you know, being a pastor, I've had um, uh, opportunity from time to time to people as they're approaching death's door, you know, and they don't say, you know what, I regret serving Jesus. You know, sometimes I hear them say things like, I regret um, this or that or the other thing, uh, but not, I regret serving Jesus, you know. And I never hear anyone say, you know, I regret I just wish I made a little bit more money, right? They don't say, you know what, I, ju I, I just wish I had indulged in a little bit more sin. But I never hear anyone at death's door say that. But I tell you what I do hear them say, boy, you know what, God has been faithful to me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I served God. You know, I have no regrets about serving God. If you've never made him your saver, savior, I, I encourage you to do that today. There's nothing so awesome as a relationship with God. Nothing like knowing that you're on good terms with God. And then I think next we should say that salvation, a salvation experience is just the beginning of a relationship with God. You know, some people, I don't know if you've noticed, some people in other states, after experiencing salvation in Christ, want to stay right there or expect it to stay just right there. You know, I've been there, I've done that, I've got the t-shirt, right? But after God begins a relationship with you at, the, at salvation, he wants and expects you to grow. As a matter of fact, God expresses in the scripture a frustration when his children don't grow as he expects. The writer of the book of Hebrews said it this way in chapter 5, verse, starting at verse 11. He said, we have much to say about this. He's talking to these Hebrew believers, but he says, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the very elementary truths of God's word all over again. He says, you need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature. And he goes on and he's frustrated with their lack of spiritual growth. 
He's frustrated that they're not more mature by now. And so once God has started this relationship with us, he expects us to, go, to grow. He expects that uh, our relationship will go somewhere. Because God is on this lifelong quest to make you look more like Jesus. Did you know that? He wants you to look more like Jesus. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's one of my favorite passages. Uh, one of these days I'm going to preach a whole message on that whole passage. But, but today, just this one verse. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when you begin a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, and he's not just squatting there. Right? He's doing something there. He's active there. He has an agenda. He's working on the inside of you, and he's, he's on a mission to transform you into the image of Jesus with ever increasing glory. So let me ask you this. How many of you already look just like Jesus? What, none of you? I put my hand down, I think. Right? Well, if you don't look like Jesus yet, then there's still more growth that needs to happen. Still more growth that the Spirit of God wants to accomplish in your life. So you may have been serving God for 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, but there's still more growth that God has for you. Still more transforming that God wants to do in your heart and in your life. And look at the words. I love these words. With ever-increasing glory. The idea here is that this transformation keeps on happening throughout your life, and it gets better and better and better and better. The Spirit keeps on working you on you throughout your life, and you keep on growing, and you become more and more and more like Jesus. Ever-increasing glory. So the question becomes this, how, how do we grow in our relationship with God? What do we need if we're going to grow in our relationship with God? Now, there may be many things that can help you grow in your relationship with God, but this morning I want to focus on one passage of Scripture, just kind of one idea. You need good soil. If things are going to grow, you need good soil, right? So if you could turn with me to the uh, Gospel of Mark chapter 4, and we'll be here, I think, for the rest of our uh, message this morning, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And we're going to look at a parable that, that Jesus gave. Now, so let me set the scene for you. Here it says, Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, and it says a large crowd gathered around him. And so it says that he sat in a boat while all of the people were standing along the water edge. And uh, uh, can I say, by the way, that's the way how things were done back then. That was the custom of the day. Uh, whenever the rabbi was teaching, he would sit down. And all the people would stand around him, listening to him. Aren't you glad the roles are reversed today? Or you get to sit there the whole time while I stand up here and, and teach and preach, right? Uh, and so Jesus was sitting in the boat. They're all along the water's edge listening. And uh, he tells this parable. And beginning in verse 3, he says, listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let 
them here. And the disciples, even his closest disciples, didn't have ears to hear. Now, probably I can imagine, now this is just my imagination now, that they were acting like they had ears to hear. You know, like Peter was there going like, yep, yep, amen, amen, Jesus. Right, and John's going like, yeah, get, get, get that, you know. And the, all the people are looking, they want to look like they understand, right? But we know they didn't understand because it says like a couple of verses later that when they were alone, they asked him, Jesus, what does that mean? Can you explain the parable to us? They had no clue what it meant. And uh, so it says that Jesus began to explain the parable to them. So let's unpack it together. He starts by saying, the farmer sows the word, right? So the idea is that the seed in the parable represents the word of God. That's what's being sown. The word of God is being sown. And so God desires to sow his word into your life. And just like when you sow a seed, you expect it to grow and produce fruit. So God expects his word to produce fruit in you. That is, God expects you to grow, to become more mature, more like Christ. And the, the soil represents our hearts. And so in this parable, Jesus is going to talk about four kinds of soil or four kinds of heart conditions that affect how the word is able to grow in us. And so the first kind of soil is the hardened soil or the hard heart, right? Verse 15, Jesus explained it this way. He said, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And so here's the idea. God wants his word uh, to go into your heart, to be sown into your heart. He wants it to grow and to produce fruit. But just like a, a hardened pathway cannot receive a seed, so a hard heart cannot receive the word of God. Just like a seed needs soft, fertile ground in order to sprout and take root, so the word of God needs a soft heart that is open to receive it if it's going to get rooted and established and cause you to grow. And so God's idea is that his word gets planted through like personal reading or uh, preaching and teaching or small group interaction, and uh, it's supposed to find a good place to lodge in your hearts and take root. But Jesus says there's some people whose hearts are hardened, and they can't receive the word. And the word doesn't grow. And the question becomes this. What causes a Christian's heart to get hard? Have you ever met a professing Christian whose heart is hard? Or it seems like their heart is hard, and it's kind of really sad, right? What happens in the life of a Christian that causes them to, to harden their heart so that the word of God can't really get in, that it doesn't really have much impact on them? You know, well, there could be many things. But let me talk about just one, one idea this morning. In the natural, what makes soil harden? Uh, people walking on it, right? There may be many things, but basically, people walk on soil and it gets hard. That's why it became a path in the first place, right? Because lots of people uh, walk that way. And in the Christian life, there's going to be times when you're wrong. Right? There's going to be times when, when someone's going to offend you. There's going to be occasions when you feel like you were walked on and you were trampled on, you know, and it feels like your nice, fertile soil has been capped down a little bit. Have any of you ever experienced that? I mean, you're going along and somebody just does something, says something, you know, and, you know, you just feel like kind of your soil is capped down a little bit, right? And, uh, uh, and the truth be told, right, you know, we all are like, oh, yeah, I've had that happen to me, right? Uh, yeah, people have done that to me and people can be this way. The truth is, if we're really honest with ourselves, there are probably times when we were that person. All right, we 
didn't, maybe we didn't know it, didn't intend it, but walked across somebody, right? Y'all looking so holy at me right now. No, no, Pastor Paul, not me. You know, that happens to us, and sometimes we're the person that does that, even though we, you know, because none of us is like Jesus yet, right? And, and so, um, but we have these things happen to us. You're wronged. And, and in that moment, you have a couple choices, right? You can choose to forgive. And when you forgive, it's kind of like taking some garden tool, tools and a, and a hoe and kind of like uh, working that soil again and, and making it so it's soft again, right? And, uh, but uh, the other option we have is to choose not to forgive. And if we choose not to forgive, it's kind of just like letting that be tapped down. And then every time we bring it up again uh, and think it over and, uh, uh, and, and kind of like uh, let that thing uh, ferment in our, in our heart, it's kind of like just walking over it again. Every you just keep turning it over. You keep walking over it again. You keep walking over the soil again. And what happens as you keep walking over it? Right? It gets harder, right? Harder and harder and, and harder. Until finally, you know, you get to a place where you can't, you've got a path in your heart that just can't receive a word, you know, in that area. And if you go too long, pretty long, the path gets wider and wider and wider and wider. And you can't really receive God's word. Unforgiveness hardens your heart. A hard heart can't receive the word of God. A hard heart rejects the word of God. And so I encourage you this morning, you know, if you're carrying some offense, uh, don't let it tamp down the soil of your heart through unforgiveness. If you have a brand new offense, something that's just happened, before your heart starts to get really hard, you know, forgive. For your own sake, forgive and let that thing go. If you've got some heart, uh, some path in your heart that God has uh, maybe even revealed this morning that, you know what, that's been tamped down a lot and you're just really kind of hard, hard, you know, there, um, whatever you need to do, whatever garden tools you need to get up to begin to break up that ground, uh, forgive. Get God's grace to forgive so you can have a soft heart that can receive the word of God. A hard heart can't receive the word of God. And then the second kind of bad soil is this. It's rocky soil. Jesus said in verses 16 and 17, he said, others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this soil looks good from the outside. You know, it looks soft. It looks like a good place to plant. It receives the seed. The seed begins to grow, and everything looks great. But what you can't see is there's something wrong underneath. The, there are rocks that are preventing the seed from taking root. It looks healthy until it gets a little hot or until the wind starts to blow or the weather turns bad. Then it withers and blows away. And the underlying problem is revealed. It had no root. And Jesus says that some people are like this. People who receive the word, it springs up quickly, and you know, everything looks great as long as it's sunny. Jesus says there are some Christians who are like this. Like, they like being around God. They like being around the word and other Christians. But one day, uh, trouble comes, and they wither away, and, uh, or a little persecution happens, and they say, you know, I didn't sign up for this. You know, that's rocky soil. It's the heart that loves the word as long as everything's going well, as long as everything is sunny and 70 degrees. And can I tell you, this is why it's important to be honest with people when we're um, asking them to come to Christ, right? Because sometimes, um, I've heard some appeals that are kind of like this, the love, joy, peace gospel. And I believe in love and joy, I believe in all of those things. But sometimes I've heard appeals made that sound kind of like, if you'll just come to Jesus, 
everything will always be awesome in your life all the time. Just love, joy, and peace, you know. And it is true that, you know, there are many blessings that come from serving Christ. And there are some other bad things that we don't experience because we're serving Christ. I mean, think about it. It's, it's only natural, right? If your life is free from um, the, uh, uh, the lust of the eye, greed, covetousness, all of those things, right? All of that bad stuff that comes from greed and, and, and covetousness, you know, you're not going to experience so much, right? Or if your life is free from uh, the lust of the flesh and immoral desires, all, a, a lot of the bad stuff that can come from that, uh, you're not going to experience. So there are many blessings that come from serving Christ, right? But the idea that, you know, when you serve Christ, you know, nothing bad will ever happen from you. Well, that's not really true. And so sometimes there's this appeal that, that happens that way, and people get that idea. And the, the promise is not that nothing bad will ever happen to you. It's that God will walk through you whatever comes into your life, right? And so for this reason, when people come to Christ, they should come to Christ because there's this problem. There's this sin problem that only Jesus can fix. And there's this, there's this judgment problem, the Bible says is coming, uh, right, that only Jesus can get you through. All right, let me illustrate it this way. Um, well, I have a couple of volunteers. Right? Who, oh, here they are. They're coming right now. Hey, come on up here. I'll be right back. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Stand right here. One here. One here. That's awesome. Okay. So, suppose, you know, I'm, I'm going out for a trip on my 60-foot yacht. Ah, oh, you're all laughing. None of you believe I have a 60-foot yacht? I do have a 60-foot yacht. It's just imaginary. All right, so, so come along with me in my, 60, my imaginary 60-foot yacht with you. And so I have invited um, Micah and Katie to come along with me. And so I come to Mike and I say, hey, you want to go out for a trip on my 60-foot yacht? Sure. All right, well, put this on because it's going to make your trip really awesome. Okay. okay, so he puts that on because I promised him that it's going to make his trip awesome. And then I uh, leave him. He's getting ready. Then I come to say, hey, you want to come for a trip on my 60-foot yacht? Absolutely. Well, put this on because in the middle of the sea, the boat's going down. Okay. All right. <laughs> so now we're out on the yacht, right? And, uh, and we're going along, and uh, pretty soon, though, they look a little bit funny, and then and they begin to notice people are starting to look at them funny. Go ahead, look at them funny. Maybe point. Point at them like, hey, they look really funny. What are they worried about? You know, and uh, so I told him that this thing would make his trip better. And what's he beginning to think? This, this really isn't making my trip better. People are pointing at me and, um, and, and snickering and making fun. What is she thinking? She's thinking, yeah, I'd rather not die, right? And matter of fact, she might try to, um, uh, to, to get some of you to put one of these on too because she knows that the boat is going down in the, middle of the, um, in the middle of the trip, right? And so then all of a sudden the seas start to get a little bit, you know, yeah, up and down, right? You know how that, that's going on. Now, come on, the whole ship's going, right? Here we go, right? And, and what's happening over here? Now they're both starting to feel ill, right? A little seasickness. And they, they're coming over to the, go ahead, lean over the edge. There. All right, now she's over the edge, too. She's getting sick, too. There's no promise that Christians don't, you know, get seasick every once in a while on a 60-foot yacht, right? And so what's he thinking now? He promised me that this thing would make my trip better, and I am sick. And what is she thinking? Well, she's thinking that 
her sickness has nothing to do with this thing, right? Okay, so keep getting sick. Hold on. So then you know what happens invariably when you're on a boat there. Um, go ahead, keep getting sick. Right? Uh, as um, some other boat comes by a little bit too, too close, right? Then they got to make a sharp turn, right? And you know what happens when a boat comes by and makes a sharp turn right at you? What happens, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> now they're all wet and sick and all that's happening, right? And uh, what is he thinking? He's about to take this thing off, right? Because he's disgusted. He was lied to. Uh, he was promised that this trip would be all perfect and everything. If he just put that on, he takes it off in disgust. What is she thinking? Dear Jesus, come quickly. Right? All right. So go ahead. Thank you so much. Here. Here you go. Here you go. You can share that with your brother. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Give him a hand. Jesus will be with you, right? We need to come to Christ uh, because um, he's going to save us from the wrath to come, right? Um, he can take care of our sin problem and our judgment problem, right, and get us through all of that. Uh, so the Bible says that we should not have thorny soil, I mean uh, rocky soil, right? Uh, because when the, when the persecution comes and difficulties of life, we won't be able to grow the way God wants us to grow. And the, then the third kind of bad soil is soil that's taken up by thorns and thistles. Jesus said in verses 18 and 19, he said, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Thorns leave little room for growth. You know, at my last house, I had these bushes and plants kind of around the front, and uh, on either side of the door, there was this, this flowering plant, a beautiful flowering plant, and, and and the one on the left side was really nice and full and produced lots of beautiful flowers. But the one on the right side, it, it was kind of planted in the same area as this large growing bush. And this, this large um, leafy bush kind of just really grew into its space and was, was taking up its space. And uh, over time, this flowering plant just didn't grow into what the other one did. Instead, it stayed small and it kind of grew sideways in kind of a desperate attempt to get some sunlight and produce whatever few meager uh, flowers that it could. Its growth was choked off. And Jesus says that some Christians are like that. There's a response to the word. It starts to grow. But something else is growing faster and taking up the same soil. And he's, he describes them. The deceitfulness of wealth. The desire for wealth will choke off your spiritual life. The Bible describes it as greed and, and selfish ambition. Now, it's not wealth that's the problem. You can look through the scriptures. It's never wealth itself that's the problem. It's the desire for wealth. <clears throat> this is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. And so when we get that reversed, it chokes spiritual life. When we, when we start seeking wealth first, when we start seeking the things of this life first, before seeking God, when those things become more important than seeking God, it chokes off spiritual life. And the problem is that when your desire for wealth becomes before your desire for Jesus, your desire is never fulfilled. You never end up with enough because you never have the confidence that comes from seeking first 
the kingdom. And Jesus says that this leads to something else. He calls it the worries of life. So when I seek God's kingdom first, I have this confidence that comes from knowing that the one who I am seeking has promised to provide everything that I need out of his riches and glory. My confidence is in something that cannot be taken away. But if I seek this world first, if I seek my own good first, uh, I don't have that confidence. And without that confidence, all I have is stuff that can be taken away. All I have is stuff that I can lose, jobs, abilities, resources. All that stuff can be taken away. And so the result is worry. And worry chokes out the word of God and makes it unfruitful. And that leads to the next problem that Jesus mentions, the desires for other things. The deceitfulness of wealth leads to the worries of this life, which leads to the desire after other things over the word of God. There's a desire for God's word, but there is more desire for other things. And so the word of God gets choked out by the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life, and the desires for other things. And then finally, the fourth soil that Jesus talked about was the good soil. Verse 20, he says, Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word of God, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60 some a hundred times what was sown. This soil is good soil because it's soft. There are no offenses. There, there's nothing to harden the heart. And there are no rocks hidden beneath the surface. The word can go down deep and, and make strong roots. And there are no thorns choking it. Je- Jesus is first place. Jesus is number one. Seeking God's kingdom comes before anything else. And so what does Jesus say happens when there's good soil? It says it produces a crop. There's fruitfulness. There's growth. And so by way of conclusion this morning, I want you to notice from this parable that there are three things that are needed for fruit to be produced. Three things that are necessary if you're going to see growth in your life. The first is a farmer. And look at what it says at the beginning of the parable. It says the farmer scatters the seed. Unless a farmer scatters seed, no growth happens. Right now, Jesus is the farmer in this parable. And the, and the good news is this, is you don't have to try to get Jesus to be willing for you to grow. All right? The seed falls everywhere. It's not like the farmer goes you know, looking for just some special places to sow the seed. He's not looking for just some special people to sow the seed. And it says that he scatters it. He throws it everywhere. It falls on every type of soil. He wants it to take root everywhere. He wants you to have it. He wants the word to take root in you. Jesus wants you to grow. And the second thing that you need is seed. The seed is what produces the fruit. In this parable, the word is the seed. The word is what grows and produces fruit. And it's always good fruit. God only has good seed for you. And you can trust that when you plant the word of God in your heart and in your life, it will produce good fruit all the time. You never have bad fruit from the word of God. It's good, it's wonderful, it's awesome. It produces God's fruit and God's growth. Now, notice that the first two things that are needed are entirely provided by God. And so the third thing that is needed for fruitfulness is good soil. This is the one area that we have some responsibility for. 
And even with that, the Bible says that he will help us with that as well. He helps us break up any hardness of our heart. He helps us to endure trials and difficulties. He helps us clear the ground of, of, of thorns, uh, helps us to remove the desires for other things that choke out the word. He helps us with all of this by his spirit. Uh, but this is the area that we have to cooperate with him. We take some responsibility. I like to say it this way, growing on purpose. Right? Some people like to just say, you know, well, God, make me grow if you want me to grow. I'm here. God, you know my address, and if you want me to grow, you can, you can make me grow. You know, but the scriptures paint a little bit of a different idea. Um, he wants us to grow. He gives us the seed to grow, but he wants us to grow on purpose. Because if you do nothing with the soil, what happens to it? It starts to get hard, right? People walk on it, right? Or people throw rocks on it. They're passing by and they throw rocks on it. Or thorns and weeds to be, begin to grow. That's just the natural result of what, what happens if you don't do something with the soil. And so um, the same happens with your heart. If you don't intentionally keep tilling the soil of your heart, if you don't keep uh, doing stuff to grow on purpose. So as we move into our response time this morning...